So we're back in John's gospel. And, and we, last week, we divided. I had the sermon last week, and it was all one piece. But, man, we had a full Sunday. It was a great Sunday of worship. It was a full Sunday. So we, we basically did the Solomon thing, the wisdom of Solomon, and we split it in half. Um, so we've got, we've got the second half this week. So if you've got your Bibles, open them back up. The bulk of this passage, John 11, 1 through 53, is not going to be up on the screen. Everything else will be up on the screen. But this is for you to follow along. And, and one thing I want to ask up, up front, um, does, does somebody, some of you bring your Bibles from home. Does anybody, did anybody bring a King James Version of the Bible with them? Did anybody? All heathens here this morning. <laughs> Nobody bring, brought the only Bible God approves of. Okay, Brenda, do you have King James? It's not the, it's not the abridged or the newly updated. It's the, it's the King James, right? It's 500 years old. Okay, okay. Hang on to that, Brenda. Hang on to that, Brenda. We'll get to that in a bit. But if you've got your Bibles, open them up to John 11. And we're going to kind of go back to where we ended last Sunday. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 16. And this is, again, Jesus healing, bringing Lazarus back to life. Or actually, God bringing Lazarus back to life. Then after this... Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The Lord, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. See, this is, a, this is as we said last week, this is a, a fascinating discussion between Jesus and his disciples. They are questioning Jesus. Jesus says, let's go. They say, they remind Jesus where we are going, that's where the people are who are going to want to kill you. It's not a good idea to go there. Then Jesus says something about daylight. He says something about the timing of things. And so we're left with what does it mean? What, what does it mean? Jesus here is talking about timing. And we said a little bit about that last week. There is a timing to things. When should you do something? When should you not? Should I stay? Should I go? Jesus says there's 12 hours of daylight. And in those 12 hours of daylight, that's enough time in which to do God's will. You can operate within those 12 hours. You don't have to jump ahead into something right away, but you also don't want to procrastinate because 12 hours is your window. But there is always time. There's always time, but there's not time to waste. You can't wait until dark, Jesus says, because, 
because you will, you will stumble. How many of you remember those old Western movie cliches, right? The, the hero or the whoever, the, the, the protagonist riding off into the sunset. Do you remember that from a movie, a movie cliche? See, that, that's one of those things, that's one of the things, it's called, it's called, a, it's called a movie trope. Do you all know what a movie trope is? Do you ever looked at, thought about movie tropes? Do you ever thought deeply about movie tropes? Not thought deeply. Okay, so, so, so a, a trope, Ben and I talk about tropes a lot. A trope is a common or, or overused theme or device in movies or television. So, for example, a huge movie trope is why does nobody ever say goodbye when they're done with a conversation on the phone, right? They just end, how rude, they just end the conversation. That's a movie trope. It happens all the time. Why, when characters are driving in the car, my wife will attest to this, you're watching a movie or a TV show, and they're driving in the car, and the person who's driving is looking over and carrying on a conversation, and I'm yelling, keep your eyes on the road! <laughs> See, that's a, that's a movie trope. That's a movie trope. So, somebody goes into a bar, and the bartender has, says, what will it be, Mac? What will it be? And what does the guy order? The guy always orders a beer. I'll have it. Nobody ever does that. That's a movie trope. you got to order a specific brand, a specific type, right? So those are, those, are, those are movie tropes, just like riding off into the sunset. And if you're, in a, if you're a cowboy and you're out on the range, the last thing you want to do, it's the stupidest thing you can do, is to ride off into the sunset. It doesn't make sense, does it? You want to you wanna hit the road... We're burning daylight. We've got a wallet's light. Because if you ride off into the sunset, it's going to be a dangerous thing. And so Jesus says, don't be dumb. Don't rush into it. You don't need to rush into things, but don't be so dumb that you wait so long that you're riding off into the sunset. Don't do that. So we have to take advantage, Jesus is saying here. We have to take advantage of the proper timing of things. Jesus knows there's a time to head toward his glorification on the cross. And that, and that time is now. So Jesus makes it very clear. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad I wasn't there. That's what Jesus says. We've got to wrap our brains around that. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. The timing is right. So if you've got your Bibles open, you're still following along. Verses 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know, that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I, and this is probably the passage a lot of us remember really well, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus arrives. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he looks at Martha, and he asks her, do you 
believe this. What's in the question? What's in the question? See, one of the, one of the reasons Jesus waited so long to come back, because remember, it's less than a two-mile walk. It's the distance. We saw this last week. We talked about this last week. It's the distance from our old home at the old St. Pete's to where we are right now. That's about the distance it was. Jesus waits. He waits four days. And see, one of the reasons he waits is so he can be there. So when he asks, he can look Martha in the eyes. Remember, Jesus is always having these upfront, close and personal conversations with people. We've seen this throughout John's gospel. And so Jesus is waiting so he can look Martha in the eyes and he can ask in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this trauma in life, do you believe in my powerful presence? Jesus wants to talk to Martha about that. He wants to hear from her and he wants to impress upon her the truth of that question. Jesus speaks faith into Martha's life. He has the power to give life. He has the power to keep his promises. Jesus is doing that for Martha. That's what he's telling her he's doing. That's why he's there. And see, because Jesus does that for Martha's life, and because this was so important that God inspired John to write this down so we could hear this. And so what that means is, is 2,000 years later, Jesus is asking us the same question. We are, we are, listen, we are in the Martha position right now. We are in the Martha position. He wants to bring that into your life. Jesus wants to bring faith into your life. Jesus comes into our lives so we will have faith in him. And so what happens? Martha, Martha expresses faith, and, and, there's, and there's a progression in that, in that expression of faith that Martha has. First, Martha says, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. What is she saying? She's saying that she has faith in what Jesus can do. These are all statements of faith. If you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. She has faith in what Jesus can do. Then she says, I know he's going to rise on the last day. She has faith in what Jesus says when he tells her that Lazarus will rise again. She believes that Lazarus will rise again because Jesus said so. And then when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, she says she believes that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so now she believes in who Jesus is. It's a beautiful progression. She has faith in what Jesus can do. She has faith in what Jesus says. And she believes in who Jesus is. Whatever. See, remember, remember, John wants us to be in the Martha position now. That's why he has spent so much time remembering the story. 
because he wants us to be in the Martha position. So whatever is happening in your life right now, whatever your needs are, is Jesus Christ the preeminent person in your life? No matter what you are going through right now, no matter what you are experiencing in life, good or bad, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone? Are you in that Martha position? Is there that progression in your thinking? Faith in what Jesus can do, faith in what Jesus says, faith in who Jesus is. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ with your life? So you've got your Bibles open. Let's look now at verses 28 through 37. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This, this is a huge moment. It's a huge moment. This section here contains not only the briefest, shortest verse in Scripture, two words, Jesus wept. So profound is that. But it also gives us an incredibly profound glimpse into the heart of our Savior. I love hearing that. <laughs> That's Alice. That's adorable, Alice. Jesus sees Mary weeping, and two things are going on here. First thing, we hear, he is moved by their sadness. Jesus is moved by their sadness, but he's also troubled. You see that in there. The literal translation of greatly troubled is from the root idea of of an animal snorting. When it says Jesus is troubled, like a horse, the root word for troubled, greatly troubled, it's like a loud snort where you're angry at something. 
I'm sure at times in our lives, some of us have made similar kinds of noises of frustration or impatience or anger with something. And that's what it means here. Jesus is greatly troubled. He let out an audible snort. And see, what it is, is is Jesus is, is angry at their fear of death. He's not angry at their sadness, but he is angry at their fear of death. He is angry that the fear of death has gripped them. He is outraged and unsettled by by this display of the power death has over their lives. Jesus came to conquer death. And there is anger in the heart of God over this abject fear of death. Yet, see here's a profound piece here. Yet in the midst of how distressed Jesus is, Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps for them. Jesus weeps with them. And here is the weightiness of this moment. Even though Jesus is greatly troubled at the fear that is in their hearts, he sheds tears with them instead of pointing a finger at them. In this moment, Jesus is compassionate. He is not condemning. Instead of lecturing them and pointing out to them where they're wrong and how they're wrong, he weeps with them. Instead of telling them not to cry, he cries with them. And instead of, and this speaks into my heart, at certain points in my life, I need to hear this because instead of scolding us for a weak or a wavering faith, Jesus brings a deeper faith into their lives. See, remember, we are in Martha's position. Will we accept that gift from Jesus? Will we allow ourselves to be loved and to be received and to have a faith, a gift of faith that will grow in Christ? So let's pick things up at verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The truth here is that God's love adds up to new life. Jesus knows that the love of the Father is going to be seen in this moment. And so we see the love of God in this moment. Deeply moved, Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha protests, very reasonable, very practical. Martha protests, but there will be, but there's a bad odor. And I love the King James Version translation of that verse. And I am not making this up. Here's the King James translation. But Lord, by this time, he stinketh. (laughs) Brenda, is that in there? She's testifying. Isn't that something? King James Version. But Lord, by this time, he stinketh. But it doesn't matter. Jesus wants them to take the stone away. And so they do. Remember what we said. We said they believe, they have faith in what Jesus can do. They have faith in what Jesus says. They believe who Jesus is. So when Jesus says take the stone away, there is no hesitation They take the stone away. And then Jesus does something interesting. If you see in your Bibles there, he he shouts. He, he, He shouts. He says, Lazarus, come out. Side note, Lazarus' name literally means God is my help. God is my help. So Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. You notice what Jesus doesn't say, right? Jesus doesn't say, Lazarus, live. Or Lazarus, come back to life. None of that. Why not? Because Jesus knows that God the Father has already raised Lazarus. Lazarus, sometime on that fourth day, probably before Jesus got there, We don't know how, we don't know when, it doesn't matter. All we know is Jesus knows what the Father has already done. And so he says, Lazarus, come out. God raised Lazarus. God brought him back to life. And so I want to ask you now, is there something in your life that needs to be revived? needs to be revived? Is there something in your life that is dying? Is there something in your life that has already died? 
Is there something in your life that is on life support right now? Maybe, maybe it's your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your passion for Christ and for serving him. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe a, a dream has died. Perhaps your joy for life is withering on the vine. Whatever it is, what do you do about something that is either dying or has already died in your life? What do you do? How do you invite God in to revive it? There's five things, five quick, quick things to be mindful of. First, you need to remember that Jesus cares. We see this throughout this story. Every step of the way, Jesus cares. He doesn't condemn you. You know, it's not like, oh, no, something's dying in my life, and so I'm a horrible person, and so Jesus must hate me. No, 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 not at all. He doesn't condemn you or punish you. Jesus is deeply moved by the hurts that we have in our lives. So that's the place to begin. Begin with the affirmation that Jesus loves you and that Jesus cares for you and that Jesus does not condemn you and that Jesus knows what you're going through and he wants to help you through that right now. Yes. Second thing, you do the things that Jesus has asked you to do. Jesus asked them to move away the stone. First, there's a little practical question. He may stinketh by now. But after that's answered, they move away the stone. See, the thing is, Jesus can move the stone away. Jesus can move the stone away, but he doesn't. He asks them to. See, it's a sign of their faith. Do you, do you believe that the Father has raised Lazarus? then move the stone away so you do what Jesus has asked you to do. What is Jesus asking you to do? Is he asking you to forgive someone? Man, that's a, that could be a stuff. I mean, if, there, if there's a relationship that's died or dying, if there's issues surrounding that, and if Jesus is asking you to forgive, man, that is a, that is a tough stone to move, isn't it? That's a tough stone to move. Is, is he asking you to do daily devotions? To get, to get started, to, 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 to spend a half an hour a day doing devotions? Is Jesus asking you to do that? Is he asking you to give generously? A lot of people, their, their passion for following Christ, it shows up also in their giving. Is he asking you to give generously? Is he asking you to be joyful? You can tell, right? You can tell when people, when people are struggling in their life. I mean, they're, 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 they're see, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use my normal cliche. It's Mopey Mike or Mopey Mabel. I've, I had, I've, had, I've had people say, Pastor Richard, and these are Debbies. They say, can you quit using Debbie Downer, please? <laughs> so I'm doing that. It's Mopey Mike or, or Mopey Mabel. Do you, do you need to change your outlook? Is he asking you to humble yourself? 
What is, what is it? What is it that Jesus is asking you to do? The third thing is you, you do what Jesus does. Jesus prays to God before he shouts, Lazarus, come out. You do what Jesus did. You pray to God. You, you ask God to heal this thing that is dead in you. Or you ask God, you ask God to help you turn the corner as you're heading towards something dying on the vine. The fourth thing you do is you hear Jesus' powerful voice. Jesus shouts to Lazarus, so you need, where do you hear the powerful voice of Christ? You hear the powerful voice of Christ in scripture. You read the Bible, you read the New Testament. You come to church, you worship, you read and you listen. And when you do that, you will hear the voice of Christ and, and the voice you will hear, you will hear his voice and he will, he will be speaking words of hope and joy and sacrifice and you will hear the promise of resurrection. See, what, whatever, whatever you think there is not, Jesus says there is. Whatever you are thinking you are lacking, Jesus said, I have come that you might have the fill of it. And then finally, the fifth thing, you respond in practical ways to what Jesus has done. When Lazarus comes out, Jesus says, unbind him and let him go, and they do that. See, see, whatever, we don't have to overthink these things, right? One of the things we say here at Covenant Church, we want things to be fresh, simple, and honest. We do not, we do not need, it is not necessary to overcomplicate things. Jesus says, unbind him, and they do. Whatever has died or is dying in you, you do the simple things Jesus calls you to do. Just do the simple things he calls you to do. If it's a bad or a destructive habit, you replace it with something affirming like helping other people. Easiest way to get rid of a bad habit is to help others. If it's bitterness, then you forgive. If it's anger, then you get counseling or you, or you come to celebrate recovery. If it's envy or jealousy, you start keeping a journal of the blessings that are in your life. If you're looking over at the Joneses or whoever else it is, and you're looking at what other people have that you wish you had, or if you're thinking about what you don't have, you start writing down the things that you do have. I, I woke up this morning and I was alive. That's gonna be a good day. If it's self-centeredness, you help others. You increase in generosity. Whatever it is, you take simple things, you take off the grave clothes, you get rid of the dead stuff, and God brings the new. So that's where we're at in John's gospel. This is a perfect pivot point in the gospel of John. God is bringing new life, and that makes marks a transition point. Jesus is now moving toward his death and glory. And this miracle ramps up opposition to Jesus. Remember what his disciples said. 
at the start of this chapter. His disciples said, are you sure you want to go there? Because that's where they want to kill you. So they know what's going to happen. There's trouble brewing. And Jesus says that's exactly right. So that's exactly why we're doing this. It's all for the glory of God. In other words, the Father is glorified in the death of his Son. Jesus knows that's exactly where this miracle is leading, to the cross. So now we turn in chapter 12, we'll take us to a holy place. We're now entering into the last week of Jesus' life. Remember how we've seen John's gospel develop. It's a long, drawn-out first two and a half years, and then in a short time, another five or six months, and now the last week, chapters, the chapter 12 until the end, is going to cover the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus is now moving. See, we... It's, it's about, it's deeper than, than Lazarus's resurrection, see? This, this, this chapter is moving us toward something bigger, more profound. It's moving us toward Jesus' death and his, and his glory. Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org. That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G.